I hear people say every once in a while that, uh, uh, you know, or, uh, our country is becoming increasingly secular. They're only partially correct. It is true that there are people in our country that want to remove all talk of God and Jesus from the public domain. It's true that more and more people are making their uh, decisions on, based on a secular viewpoint rather than a biblical viewpoint. Uh, but it's not true to suggest that people do not have an interest in spiritual things. People may not worship the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, but they worship something. People are all inherently uh, spiritual. Uh, we all worship something. Um, so consider all the, the TV shows and movies today that uh, uh, have angels or people coming back from the dead to speak with people or people, creatures with supernatural powers that draw their powers from Satan. Uh, Although you won't find a majority of Americans in church on Sunday, uh, most Americans believe in God and things spiritual. The Apostle Paul says, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like God. So people rejected God, but they didn't become unspiritual or unworshipful, they just made idols like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. When people reject worshiping God, they don't stop worshiping, they worship something else. So sometimes we're hesitant to invite people to church because we think, ah, oh, they're probably not interested in spiritual things. Quite to the contrary, Americans are keenly interested in spirituality. What they reject is a Christian faith that's devoid of spiritual power. When people come to church and they don't see spiritual power, they're disappointed. This is the fifth in our series of messages, Unstuck, How the Apostle Paul Changed the World. Uh, we're looking at how the early church grew so rapidly. I mean, the rapid spread of the early church is one of the most fascinating things in world history. Our purpose as a church is to inspire people to follow Jesus. Uh, we have a white, hot passion for seeing people in our families, our friends, our coworkers, our teammates, our classmates, uh, people that watch our live stream online. Most are from the Portland area, but we have some from multiple states around the country. When people come to church and they see spiritual power and lives transformed, they're irresistibly drawn. The church grows by the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to make disciples who make disciples. So we want to make followers of Jesus who in turn help other people become inspired to follow Jesus. So turn in your Bible today to Acts chapter 19. If you want to use our Bibles, it's on page 1113. So I want to share with you four things we can do to follow the example of the early church and grow by the power of the Holy Spirit. First, take our faith out of the church into the world. 
Paul took the gospel out into the secular world. Paul entered the synagogue, this is in Ephesus, and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Paul's pattern when he would go to a new city to take the news about Christ was to begin in the Jewish synagogue. Some would believe and claim Jesus as the Messiah. Others would not believe. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. The way is what the Christian faith was called. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Think of like a lecture hall at Portland State. Uh, Tyrannus was a, uh, a famous teacher. He would teach every day from 8 to 11, and then he made it available to Paul, and Paul would go from 11 to 4 p.m. He did that six days a week. It was a secular setting, the university setting, and he spent uh, three years in Ephesus uh, doing that. Uh, like Paul, today we have to talk about Christ with religious people. Uh, the, the religious comparison to the Jewish synagogue today would be the church. The church is where the scriptures are read, prayers are offered, believers, uh, disciples, and spiritually curious gather. Uh, the gospel must be proclaimed to religious people, but we also have to proclaim it to irreligious people. If religious people can be reached in religious buildings, secular people have to be really reached in secular buildings. So starting Bible studies, uh, discussions about God, uh, groups in, uh, for breakfast or lunch, in homes, on college campuses or on high school campuses, are all places that are secular where people may be more comfortable gathering. You may not make any claim to faith, but you would be comfortable in talking about faith in one of those places. Second, give people reasons uh, to believe. Our spirituality tends to be too emotional. Appeals for a decision without an adequate basis of understanding. Whereas Paul reasoned with people to persuade them Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Paul gave these lectures five hours a day, six days a week for two years. That's 3,120 hours of gospel argument and gospel uh, persuasion and answering questions. We can learn from Paul. I hear from some people that... People today aren't interested in apologetics, looking at reasons why we believe. I think it's true that most people come to Christ not by persuasion, but by meeting someone who's a follower of Christ and they're intrigued, and then they come and give their life to Christ. But that doesn't mean believers shouldn't study reasons why we believe what we believe. Uh, we need to carefully look at evidence for Christ so we know how to answer people's questions. We need to know that there are good reasons to believe that God created the universe, that he raised Jesus from the dead, and that the Bible is reliable so that when we face challenges in our life, 
we're not prone to give up our faith. We have a whole generation growing up today who are almost biblically illiterate. A recent survey revealed that few people could name the Ten Commandments, the four Gospels, and 70% did not know why Easter uh, is celebrated. Years ago, Jay Leno uh, led The Tonight Show, and he would do uh, on-the-street interviews from time to time. And I watched one night, and he, 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 he came up to a couple college girls, and he asked, can you name the Ten Commandments? And one of the girls answered, freedom of speech? And then he asked, complete this sentence, let he who is without sin... And a gal answered, have a good time. Then he turned to a young man and asked, who, according to the Bible, was eaten by a whale? And the guy answered, Pinocchio. I mean, that's the the state of our understanding today. One of the reasons I invite you this next year to use our church journal is so that you will have reasons why you believe in Christ. If you do not know why you believe what you believe, you don't have any hope of helping someone else become a follower of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, and he brings people to faith in Jesus, not in spite of the evidence, but because of the evidence. Third, give people time to believe. Our spirituality is too superficial Uh, making brief encounters and expecting quick results. Whereas Paul stayed in Corinth and Ephesus for five years. Look at some of the things Luke uh, says. Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. So we believe that he was in Corinth for two years. Paul entered the synagogue in Ephesus and spoke boldly there for three months. Then he had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So let's go back there for a minute. So Ephesus was the leading city in the Roman province of Asia. Everybody in the province had business in Ephesus at some point, and would come to Ephesus. They heard about Paul teaching at the hall of Tyrannus. Many became believers, and then they took it back to their homes. He stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. So Paul was in Ephesus for three years and Corinth for two years. That's a long time for a person who wants to take the gospel to the whole world. But Paul decided that one of the best ways to reach the whole world was to stay in the most populous city and from there the message go go out to the whole province. Imagine in 1985, Stephen Jobs, after being booted out of Apple, had let his hurt turn to bitterness, and he stopped his passion for inventing and creating new things. What if he just said, boy, I got a a bum deal. I'm done. End of the game. But instead, he kept at it. I used to think of him as... uh, you know, the Beethoven of business. Uh, His creative genius, his compositional work was the Macintosh 
as his third symphony, the iPod as his seventh, and the iPhone and iPad as his ninth. But my view has changed now. I see him more like the Winston Churchill of business. He had this never-give-up attitude like Winston Churchill. Never, never give up. In the 1930s, many viewed uh, Winston Churchill as a uh, relic of the Romantic era. He was irrelevant. Heading into his 60s, he could have retired and uh, in the countryside, spending the rest of his days painting and laying bricks and feeding his swans and ducks and grousing that they just don't get it. But instead, he stayed at it. He kept writing, and he stayed in Parliament. And, of course, Churchill's finest days lay ahead of him when he stood against Hitler and Hitler's evil henchmen. If he hadn't stayed at it, he wouldn't have been ready to be the man of his time for World War II. At the end of the Second World War, Churchill was voted out of office. He made a strategic mistake. He was so popular in Britain after World War II, he figured he didn't have to campaign. But his opponent campaigned like crazy, and the people voted him out of office. Again, he could have quit. Heading into his 70s, he could have said, I'm done. I've done my part. But he stayed at it. He made a famous speech popularizing the Iron Curtain, talking about the danger of the Soviet Union as we began what was called the Cold War. He penned his six-volume memoir, The Second World War, the best 5,000 pages on the art of leadership I've ever read, which won the Nobel Prize in literature. He once again became prime minister. Like Steve Jobs, he ceased serving only when his body gave out. Like Jobs and Churchill, we have to persevere, not give up, keep praying, and give people time to believe. So, so far, I've said, take our faith out of the church into the world, give people reasons to believe, give people time to believe, and then fourth, show people spiritual power that cannot be found in the world. Our spirituality tends to be too ordinary, calling people to a lifestyle that's not much different from the rest of the people in the world. But Paul called people to a radically different life and showed them spiritual power. So listen to what, or watch what Luke says about the early believers in Ephesus. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery, sorcery is dealing with uh, the whole area of witchcraft and the worship of Satan, brought their scrolls, it'd be like today bringing our books together, and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. That's 50,000 pieces of silver. Ephesus was the center for uh, the worship of Artemis, one of the three main goddesses of Greek mythology. She was the source of significant income to many of the Ephesians. So here's what Luke writes. About that time, there arose a great disturbance in Ephesus about the way. 
It's what the Christian faith was called. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen. He called them together, along with the workmen in related trades, and said, Man, you know we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. Paul was a threat to the silver idol business in Ephesus. Luke tells us that in spite of the uh, realizing the monetary gain they could have from their dealing with sorcery, many of the young believers came and burned all their stuff. They demonstrated a radical repentance from their old life in giving their lives to Christ. We tend to invite people to church that is devoid of power. Whereas Paul's faith was demonstrated by extraordinary miracles. So notice the power uh, that was displayed in Ephesus. While Paul was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. So he was two years in Corinth, then he came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So some people take this uh, verse and they say, Well, there's two steps to growing as a Christian. Step one, you give your life to Christ. And step two, you get filled with the Holy Spirit. But it's not a two-step process. Uh, So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. This is John the Baptist. And we know there was a large following of John the Baptist in Ephesus. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. So, the reason they were not filled with the Holy Spirit is not because it's a two-step process, but because they had never, ever given their lives to Christ. They hadn't even heard about Jesus. So, on hearing this, he told them about Jesus. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. They received the same sign as the early Jewish Christians did on the day of Pentecost. Remember, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and people were gathered to celebrate Pentecost from all around the world, so God enabled them to speak in all these various languages so people could hear about Jesus being raised from the dead. Apostle Paul says, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. The Holy Spirit is the proof that you have Christ in your life. If you do not have the Holy Spirit living inside you, it doesn't mean you're not a mature Christian. It means you're not a Christian at all. 
The reason Luke tells us that these 12 believers in Ephesus spoke in tongues when they received Christ is not to suggest that speaking in tongues is a sign all Christians should seek, but to simply explain that when they received Christ and the Holy Spirit came upon them, they received the same sign as the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, showing that God was accepting Gentiles into the kingdom as well. So speaking in tongues is not the normative sign all people should seek uh, to show that they're growing in Christ. It was the sign that the Ephesian Gentiles were being accepted into God's kingdom along with the Jewish Christian. The other reason that Paul tells us about uh, these Ephesians being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues is because demonstration of spiritual power is what he's talking about in Acts 19. Uh, he will go on to talk about miracles of healing, uh, miracles of demonic exorcism, uh, an example of demons overpowering humans, and the miracle of repenting publicly of their sins. He doesn't want any doubt in our minds that the church of Jesus Christ has spiritual power. So Luke tells us, this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And so Luke is telling us the gospel of Jesus Christ spread rapidly throughout the world. And then he goes on. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some people suggest that when the Bible talks about demon possession, that's just kind of an old way of thinking. We now know that's schizophrenia and epilepsy. But, but Luke is careful to distinguish between physical uh, illnesses and demon possession. So look at this. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit this shows you how much power they have, jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Uh, Luke wants us to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ is nothing ordinary. It has supernatural power. It can tame the remarkable power of evil spirits. I believe like the early church, the church today should be marked by supernatural power. People exercising spiritual gifts, praying for people to be healed, casting out demons or pushing back demonic powers. A few weeks ago, four of us gathered with a gal who came to our church for the first time in October. And uh, I was able to pray for her. She gave her life to Christ. And 
She called me a couple weeks later, and she said, I think I need an exorcism. I said, okay. So we invited her, and she, I said, tell us your story. Well, she said she was very involved with the occult and uh, worship of Satan. And so we prayed for her uh, to cast out the demon, and uh, she actually gave us the name of the demon. And uh, she, she said when we prayed, it was like a white, um, hot, heat coming out of her forehead. There's no doubt in my mind that the Holy Spirit enabled us to remove the demon from her that day. You can experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your life by confessing your sins, committing your life to Jesus Christ, and asking God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit because the church grows by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, thank you for this chapter in the book of Acts where we see that the church has supernatural power. It's not just a, a regular group like any other group in the world, but we have the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, we want to experience that and show people that power in this year ahead. If you want to be part of that and say, God, I want to experience your supernatural power, answers to prayer uh, when I pray, and, and uh, being able to see people healed and uh, Satan pushed back. Tell God you want to uh, experience that power and the filling of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you've never given your life to Christ, you can tell him you believe that he's the Son of God and invite him into your life right now. Confess your sin, and when you do, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. You pray right now. Father, we talk a lot about your love and your forgiveness and your grace, but we talk less about your power. You are a powerful God who created the universe, and you offer us that spiritual power today. We're dealing with evil in this world, and you give us power over it. We pray that our church would be filled with your Holy Spirit. And people who come will see it and be irresistibly drawn to join us. In Jesus' name we pray.